0: imagine with me for a moment that we could enter into a time machine and we could go back to the chapter, chapter 20, and we could speak to the people of Israel in their 40th year of wandering in the wilderness. We could ask them any question we wanted. One of the questions I'd Like to have asked them was this what have you learned as the people of God in your 40 years of wandering in the wilderness now you may or may not have been aware of it but as we've been journeying from chapter 13 and 14 through chapter 19 that section covers 40 years 38 years to be more exact and um, they'd learned a lot Time and time again, they they, they learned that God was just and God was holy. And you can't play games with a just and holy God. They learned as well that God was gracious and merciful. And that he was always giving them gifts that were tailor-made for their needs. They've learned that God is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. At least, those are the lessons that we draw as we study those that section of God's Word. But here's a striking thing. You come to chapter 20, and really, what have they learned? This chapter says they learn nothing. Because they're going to repeat the same mistakes of the past. They forget who God is. They forget what God has taught them. And, you know, there's, there's that old adage, isn't there? The only thing we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history. That's true of God's people in this passage. And it's true not just of them, it's true of us. You see, this isn't just an ancient problem with the ancient people of God. This is very much so a contemporary problem for the contemporary people of God. If I were to ask you this question, what have you learned in all years of following Jesus. You'd probably say many things. But then, if I were to ask you the question, are you prone to still making the same mistakes? Do you go back to the same sins? Are you quick to forget who God is and what God has done for you? I'm sure you'd say yes. Well, we're going to walk through this passage and what we're going to see is we're going to see the rebellion of the people of God in Moses and Aaron's response. We're then going to see the rebellion of Moses and Aaron and God's response. Two simple headings. The rebellion of the people of God and Moses and Aaron's response, then the rebellion of Moses and Aaron and God's response. Before we get to the first heading, just look down at verse 1. It sets the context for us. The people of Israel, the whole congregation came in the wilderness, into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. Now we've been here before. This is familiar territory. Remember chapters 13 and 14, when they, when they were right on the edge of the promised land? This was the launching pad of where they sent the spies into the uh, Canaan to scope it out. This was familiar territory. And you know when you visit a place you've been before, it always, it often conjures up past memories. And I suspect there were some painful memories attached to this place. It was because they rejected the minority report but received the majority report. They were wandering in the wilderness 38 long years. Surely they, they, they remembered their past mistakes. Surely that was something they never forgot. Surely. Well here in Kadesh something happens we're told in the, at the end of verse 1 something huge, something monumental we're told this Miriam died there and was buried there Now I don't know if you think about Miriam in the Bible <laughs> perhaps not that often but she's, pro- she's arguably the most or one of the most significant women in the entire Bible um, Miriam is the Mary of the Old Testament. She plays such a key role in Old Testament redemptive history. So remember Miriam, she's Moses and Aaron's big sister. She's there when her mother places Moses in a basket and places him in the rushes in the River Nile. She's there watching over her baby brother. She's there when Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket with Moses. She's the one who goes up and says, "Do you want me to find a Hebrew woman that could nurse this baby?" She runs to get her mom and she's involved in the care and the upbringing of Moses before he began life in the palace. Miriam is called the prophetess in Exodus chapter 15. In Micah chapter 6 and verse 4, we are told that the three key leaders of the exodus of the Old Testament were Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Miriam was the one who led the people in worship as they crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground. She was there singing the song of salvation, playing the tambourine and dancing. She has such a key role in this Old Testament redemptive act. We must never forget Miriam. Miriam's also mentioned in Numbers chapter 12 when she rebelled, when she imbibed the spirit of the people and she grumbled against her younger brother Moses and she was furious that he married a Cushite, an Ethiopian. And because of her grumbling, God judged her. But because of the faithful intercession of her brother, God also healed her. And here we read, Miriam died. Now, if you have ever lost a loved one who meant a lot to you, you know the heartbreak. You know the pain that comes with parting. Imagine the grief of Moses in particular, but also Aaron and all of the people of God. We sang about it in in Psalm 106. Moses was filled with grief. The, The last stanza that we sang. So this day gets off to a bad start. Moses loses someone who has been so influential on his life. That's the context. That's the backdrop against all of this is set. Now let's look at the rebellion of the people. Verse 2. Now, there was no water for the congregation. If this day got off to a bad start, as the day progresses, it goes from bad to worse. There they are in Kadesh. They can see in the distance the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, but they have no water in the desert. No water to drink, no water to give their cattle. It is a disaster. Or is it? Because God's people had been in this situation before. In fact, their first year in the wilderness after they passed through the Red Sea on the dry ground, the first year when they were at the foot of Sinai, Mount Horeb, Exodus chapter 17 tells us a the story. They had no water. And they started grumbling and complaining to Moses. And God said to Moses, take your staff and you see the rock. God said, I'm standing. I'll be on the rock. And I want you to strike the rock. And there's this real mystery God and the rock are like together, and God says to Moses, strike the rock, strike me. And and in Exodus 17, waters flowed. God provided for his people. But that wasn't just the only case where God provided for his people. Anytime they were hungry, anytime they were thirsty, God provided for them. God took care of them because that's who God is. He's so generous, He's so gracious, He leads, He guides, He provides, He protects. And here's God's people, and now in Numbers chapter 20, they're in the same situation, but they're about to repeat the very same old mistake. They're going to grumble. Two verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Sorry, that's um, Exodus 17. Verse 2 of Numbers 20. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Now, that's a reference to Numbers chapter 16. That's a reference to Korah and his his companions. They say, it would have been better for us to have died with those rebels than to be alive right now and have no water in the desert. Then they say, why have you brought the assembly of the Lord, into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's no place for grain, figs, vines, pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Now, this is absolutely astonishing, astounding. They say it would have been better to be a rebel who was consumed by the fires and the ground swallowing them up than to be one of God's people in the wilderness in this moment. They learned nothing. Do you remember in chapter 16 and in chapter 17, God had given them a sign, a visual reminder that, that you should never rebel against God by grumbling? Aaron's staff that budded, bossed, and bore fruit. And it's like they've forgotten that. And so they say, We're with the rebels. Now, can I ask you a a question? Do you ever make a habit of a sin that you know is worthy of God's punishment? Do you ever commit a sin again and again and you're fully aware God says this sin is wrong and it is actually worthy of death? Of course you do. All of us do. And what happens in those moments is that you forget the past, you forget who God is, you forget what God is like, and you forget what God has said. Now, I don't know if you've had this experience, right? Well, we notice it here. The presenting problem for the people of this there is no water. And then they make their complaint, but their, their complaint's not about water. Their complaint's about a whole host of other things. I don't know if you've had this experience. Say it's with a spouse, or say it's with a flatmate or a friend. You get into an argument. You know, you've got a bone to pick with them. And the argument's something along the lines of, why do you keep on leaving the toilet seat up? really annoys me someone says that to me i don't say that to someone (laughs) and in the argument it quickly turns from that issue to the person bringing up a whole lifetime of issues an argument that starts over one thing the presenting problem there is no water becomes an argument about we would have died we would Remember, Egypt, it was far better. Why did you bring us here? They give a lifetime of problems. And it's interesting, God's people complain here and they grumble here. They forget the presenting problem and they bring all of their problems. And this is really helpful because we do the same. And sometimes when we paint our present circumstances, we like to paint them as worse than they actually are. And we like to paint the past as better than it actually was. So, they say, with our rose-tinted spectacles on, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? And do you know where they got that complaint from? They got that from Dathan and Abiram in chapter 16. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? And in their heads, Egypt was a land of fresh fruit and f- good food and they lived in the lap of luxury when the reality was egypt was the place of bondage and slavery pharaoh was breaking their backs with the work he was a tyrant it was a concentration camp and at the end he killed their infant sons in the river nile and then when they about their present circumstances they start saying why have you brought us to this wilderness to this evil place now, let's just remember, why did they wander in the wilderness for 38 years? Was that God's doing or their doing? Their doing. Here in Kadesh, when they were presented with two ports, they chose to go for the majority to the port. They chose to rebel against God, and instead of going forward in faith into the promise, they went backward in unbelief. Now, when you and I present our problems... You know you're, when, when you're reflecting your life or you're grumbling, complaining, you need to be very aware that, that we've got this amazing ability, our sinful minds, to rewrite the past and to rethink the future, rethink the present. We've got this amazing ability to shift the blame. salt I'm in this situation. It's someone else's fault. And we, we learnt that from our first parents, Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam said, the woman you gave me made me do this. Eve said, the servant made me do this. And remember what she'd done. She'd forgotten what God had said to her. She'd forgotten what God had commanded. Every time you and I engage in habitual sin, just know that your mind will justify it. By rethinking your past, telling you something wrong about the present, and ultimately forgetting who God is and what God has said. So we've looked at the rebellion of the people. Let's now look at the response of Moses and Aaron. This is really fascinating. Remember, it got off to a bad start. He's lost his sister. Both of them would be in bits, grieving, mourning, and now they need to hear the complaint of the people again. Like, had they not learned the lesson? I love Moses and Aaron because their first instinct is to do what? To argue back? Nope. To leave the people and go into the presence of God and pray. You and I's first instinct when someone criticizes us and it hurts is to pray. You know, when it was COVID, as a church leader, it was really difficult, right? Because everybody had different opinions about COVID. And a colleague bought me a book and sent me it in the post, and it was called Pastors and Their Critics. A Guide to Coping with Criticism in Ministry by Joe B.K. And um, it was really helpful. And it was just, as I was preparing the sermon, I I, I thought of this book because I remember reading about Moses. And so I flicked to the page where he spoke about Moses and he said, Joe B.K., every time Moses was unjustly criticized, we see this in the Old Testament, he uses this passage as a reference, he prayed. So here's my question for you, and this is my question for me. How do you now respond to criticism? Do you ever take it to the Lord in prayer? Because that ought to be our instinct. That ought to be our priority. So Moses here, it's a hard day, but the first thing he does is he goes to the Lord in prayer. Now look at the Lord's response to Moses and Aaron's response. Verse... um, seven and the lord spoke to moses saying take the staff now just hear those words right the staff was a visual reminder for god's people never ever grumble again so when moses hears god say take the staff you know what moses is thinking god is going to wipe these people off the face of the earth because they have been told, they've learned the lesson, they've rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. And God said, if you ever rebel again, I'm giving you a sign so you don't, because I will act in judgment. So you can imagine Moses thinking, okay, God's going to act in judgment. This is great. Because he's on a bad day. And, and then and then look what God says next, though. Assemble the congregation, you and your brother. And this is what God says that he's to do tell the rock so i want you to speak to the rock before their eyes to yield its water so you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle now moses is hearing that he's got a lot of things processing in his brain sister's dead thinking about all these shared experiences all the great memories now he's prayed he's dealing with this criticism god says take the staff okay take the staff let's go aaron let's get the congregation but God just said something really clear, and we might miss it, and Moses might have missed it, we must not miss it. God is not going to act in judgment. God is going to act in grace. God is going to give the sinful, rebellious people who are grumbling and complaining again the very thing they asked for. They're longing for water in the desert. God is going to give them it in abundance. Now, now, the reason we need to linger just for a moment on this is because until you understand this, you don't understand Christianity. The good news of Christianity is God treats sinners as they don't deserve. God is good to those who even rebel against him time and time again, but who trust in him and believe in him. Um, Billy Graham. Billy Graham. You know, the famous Amer- the late, uh, American evangelist tells a story. One time he was driving in a, in a town in America, and he, he, was, he broke the speed limit. And he got pulled over, and the sheriff said to him, you know, you were breaking the speed limit. And in this county, what happens is, you, need now, you now need to go to court and stand before the judge. You're going to get a fine. So off to the court he went, and he stood before the judge, and the judge said to him, guilty or not guilty? And Bill, him? I'm guilty. And he said, for every mile per hour you were breaking the speed limit, $1 fine. So he was 10 miles over the the speed limit to 10 miles per hour. And so he got a $10 fine. Now, in those days, that was a significant amount of money. And the judge, as as he was saying, okay, here's your fine. He went in his own wallet and took out a $10 bill. And he says, I'll pay your fine. And then he says, and we're going to go out for a steak dinner. And Billy Graham said, if you ever want to have an illustration of what grace is, guilty people getting what they don't deserve, that's it. And way more than they don't deserve. And the good news of Christianity is God gives us his, his people that which we do not deserve. Mercy. Mercy. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you don't deserve it. If there's any lesson, right, that you've learned from my ministry, I hope you never think you walk away and think, Andy preaches a message, I need to be a better person. I need to do more. The message of Christianity is Jesus has done it all and you did nothing for it. It's a message of grace. So God's people are to get grace, not judgment. But let's look at Moses and Aaron's rebellion now. This is fascinating. Verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Now now Moses is to speak to the rock. He's never told by God to speak to the people. Here's what Moses says, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water out of this rock? When you're a minister and you're involved in the training of younger ministers, one of the things you you, you get involved in is they send you their sermons, and you read before they, they preach it. So when I was the minister in Cumbernauld, the young guy was preaching a sermon as a ship apprentice, and he sent me a sermon, I read through it, great, and then he stood up in the pulpit that Sunday, and I was looking forward to hearing the message, and as he began his message, he left the script, and I started to panic and worry, because he went totally off-piste, and it it was like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, thankfully, in the end, it it wasn't a bad sermon, but I was worried. Here's Moses and he goes before the people and he goes totally off peace. He loses it. He gets angry and he starts shouting at the people. Hear now, you rebels! Now, we know what's going on in his life. He's mourning his sister. He's full of grief. But don't blame your anger on your circumstances. Especially when you're in the business of serving a holy God. Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water from this rock? Do you know what Moses does? He puts himself not just in the position of judge, but is in the position of deliverer. It's like he's saying, I'm the source of this water coming out of this rock. Me mean, Aaron are. You're not, not. Not even close to it. God is the source of the water from the rock. Now, if you know anything about Moses' story, you know he's repeating a mistake from the past. This is his habitual sin. When Moses was a young, a young guy and he was living in Egypt as a prince, He was out a walk one day and he saw an Egyptian slave master beating an Israelite. Moses ran into the situation and he killed the Egyptian. The next day, two Israelites were in an argument. Moses walked into the argument and said to the one who was doing wrong, What are you doing? The Israelite turned to him and said, Who made you prince and deliver over us? Meaning, who do you think you are? Do you think you're God's judge? Do you think you're God's deliverer? Here's Moses doing the exact same thing. He thinks as he stands before the people, he's the one responsible. It's not only what he says is a problem, it's actually what he does is a problem. He takes the staff and he smashes the rock twice. Now in Exodus chapter 17, God said to him that's what he was to do, but not this time. And so this is an act of sheer anger, smashing the rock with his staff because he's so mad with the people and some of us might say well like is it that big a sin you know and i know he's just lost it it's just just a little moment but do you remember we studied numbers chapter 18 and in numbers chapter 18 we said god would hold his leaders to a stricter judgment to greater accountability like this people sin's huge they've sinned against god again and again and now even again after they've been given the vigil reminder not to grumble moses sin is it really that big a deal it's a huge deal because he was meant to be god's mediator he was meant to represent god to the people he was meant to do what god asked him to do and he didn't and so god responds to his to moses and aaron's rebellion and you know what god says moses and aaron look at verse 12 because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. The one you don't expect to receive judgment gets judgment. And it's just perfect judgment. Moses' job was to go before the people to strike the rock to show God was gracious to his people. He was giving them what they don't deserve. God had given Moses a clear command and he was to do just as God commanded him, but he didn't do as God commanded him. And because God is holy and perfect, God doesn't let us play games with our sins in his presence. And so he judges them justly. Now, you know the tragedy of this? Moses was an old man. He delivered the people under God's hand and care from Egypt. He shepherded them faithfully for 40 years in the wilderness. He put up day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year with their constant grumbling and complaining and every time he prayed and every time he shepherded them well. And here he is, right? And it's like the last hurdle, the promised lands inside and, and he stumbles and he falls and he fails. And it is spectacular. And just as this is a warning, especially to me as a church leader, but it's a warning to all of us. Take heed lest you and I fall. It's easy to make a mess of your life in one act. And Moses and Aaron face this judgment. You will not lead the people into the promised land. God is holy, and he wants his people to know that he is holy. Now, just look at how, how else God diagnoses Moses' problem. He did not, you did not believe in me. See, when you and I sin, two things go on. There's something we stop believing about God. We stop believing that God is good. We stop believing that God is wise. We stop believing that God is loving, and we think we can find whatever we think God's withholding from us, somewhere else and in something else. And we stop viewing God as holy. We forget that he's pure and he's perfect and what he requires of his people is that we would live in obedience to his word and to his will. You know when you habitually sin and you keep on going back to that same old sin? It's because you don't believe in God in that moment. It's because you've lost sight of God in all of his holiness. So whether you're someone who always gets angry, whether you're someone who's got a lust problem, whether you're someone who's got a a pride problem, your problem is, is you don't believe God. In that moment, for who he is, and you don't have a vision of God in all of his holiness. And so this passage reminds us, you want help with your habitual sin? Remember who God is and believe in him. He is good. He is gracious. He is loving. He is wise. And and, and your t- story backs that up. What have you learned all these years that you followed God? At every turn, at every twist, God's been good to you. Even in the worst situation, God's been faithful to you. He's provided for you. He's protected to you. He's led you. He's guided you. He has given you salvation. He's given you the abundance of grace in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I draw this to a close, just so we don't miss it, Christ is at the very heart of this passage. He's the rock. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 tells us, Paul speaking, they drank from the spiritual waters from the rock, who is Christ. But don't miss the gospel, it's in full display. How did it come about? Moses struck the rock. Twice. What happened to Christ? He was struck. He was smitten. He was stricken. That is, he was pierced. He was wounded. On the cross as he had his arms outstretched, a Roman centurion took a spear and thrust it in his side, and water and blood gushed. For what purpose? So that you and I sin could be forgiven so that his mercy and his grace and his blood could atone for all of our sins. It's this incredible picture of the gospel and now there's mystery to the rock and to Christ and the relationship. There's a whole sermon in that of itself. But the other thing is, I need you to see how redemptive God's grace is. Moses sinned spectacularly. Moses was prevented from entering the promised land. But, did Moses ever enter into the promised land? Answer? Yes. Look chapter 9. Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is preparing for his death. And God in his wisdom, as Jesus displays his glory to his inner circle, Jesus is a, God in his wisdom gives Jesus, Moses and Elijah, to come and encourage him as he prepares for his exodus. And isn't it, beautiful that in the moment where jesus has been faithful to god in everything just before it to encourage him and help him he sends a sinner who failed to remind him keep on keeping on jesus now jesus didn't need that reminder but god in his grace gave him moses and elijah but you and i need that reminder we need to hear Moses speaking in the promised land to the Savior on the Mount transfiguration and also speaking to us. Keep on keeping on. You and I are going to repeat the same mistakes of the past. It's part of being sinners. But this passage teaches us this lesson. We sin when we stop believing in who God is. We sin when we forget that God is holy. We should keep on keeping on believing and reminding ourselves of who God is and what God has provided in his Son, the rock of our salvation. And remember, it's all of grace. All of grace. Let's pray. God, as we go from here this morning, we want to be those who are so conscious of the fact that all that you give us as rebels and as sinners we don't deserve. We deserve your just punishment. We deserve death. We deserve eternal separation. And yet, you extend to us forgiveness, the hope of eternal life in the new creation. Even when we sin, spectacularly, you had redemptive purposes for Moses. And so we pray, God, as your people, That even this moment from salvation history of old would teach us how we might take seriously our sin, our habitual sin, and that we might even learn from the pathology of sin and temptation so that we might fight it with the tools that you have given us. Thank you for your son, the, the Rock. Thank you that he is the fount of every blessing, and thank you that we can drink deeply from him and have our souls thirst satisfied. Well, we pray that we would come afresh to him this morning and we would glory in the grace that we receive in him. And it's in his precious name that we pray this. Amen.